Ask of your king, Lord, what you wish. Become, let him compound Lord over you, and he will give you everything you need. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, we uh, who are schooled in Americans' ways uh, forget when, when Europe was totally Christian, it was surrounded by and run by kings. Somehow, the United States is always bad-mouthing our European experience. And what's going on today, though, I should say it was 200% better than the situation we're in. Sad to say. But just ask the question for each of us is... Uh, How are we going to do that? And we're reading Matthew's gospel from now oh, for a while. We stopped with John because the Easter season has ended. And now we're in Matthew. Of course, I've been and you have been all your lives studying these gospels. In about the third or fourth chapter of Matthew, he starts talking about the commandments and the beatitudes. And uh, then he goes on with parables, trying to teach us how to live the, the good life. It's a pretty good gospel. Not as lovely as John, because that's very mystical and full of heavenly news about the Trinity. We're always anxious to try to understand our Heavenly Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. But last week we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church, first upon the apostles, and then the church. And we have to remember every once in a while that how do we receive the Holy Spirit? First of all, we're baptized. That makes us a child of God and gives us the life of divine energies of the Trinity. Then we're chrismated with the holy chrism. And I preached to you what the chrism was last week. And uh, with that chrismation, we are empowered because we receive the royal gifts faith, hope, and charity directly from God. And those are your tools to live the Christian life. First of all, to live those things, to live with the gospel once, we have to be ascetics. Ascetic is one who is discipline himself to be more open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Seraphim told us, I've told you before, they asked him, 
a great Russian mystic, asked him why we were on the earth. In my lifetime, many people have asked me why we were on the earth. And he said, Seraphim said, to acquire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's the meaning of our journey. So yesterday, I was reading a Russian spiritual writer, sort of a mystic. I think he's a mystic. Sergei. And if you go to Russia, about 50 miles north of Moscow is Sergei Prasad and a huge monastery that he founded. He was very serious about living in scriptures. So when he was a young man, he could not read. I've told you before, an angel came to him and gave him the book, the holy book, the scriptures, and said, read, and he could read. He thought this was a very special gift, as it was. If you have children or people who are, have difficult reading, they should pray to St. Sergei or Sergius in English. Uh, with that, he went to live in the woods be with God alone to pray and fast and do the things in the scriptures that Jesus taught us to do. Taking serious the commandments, the Beatitudes, and also the evangelical counsels, which are poverty, chastity, and obedience. I can't have to mention it to you. I was watching a movie yesterday about uh, Camelot. I like the music. And then I realized that it's not a harmless movie. Because they are, what they taught in there was unchastity. And so Guinevere get tangled up with Lancelot and they sin against heaven and earth and the king. And after that, Camelot starts to fade. I didn't finish the whole movie. I finally, but I'd watched it many times, taken up with the beauty of the film and the music, not really getting the, the message of that film. And that film tells us that adultery is serious sin. It destroyed a kingdom. And that has happened before. That a king has forgotten his obligations, but in this case, the king was okay. It was the queen. Very sad indeed. But we're not unlike those people. We don't have every day on our mind the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the counsels of the Gospel, 
therefore we're likely to run astray. And we live in a nation that's uh, pretty much legalizing immorality. I've told you that before. It's too bad. Because we're going to suffer. The nation's going to suffer. All these wars, the scripture says war is due to the sinfulness of the people. They bring it upon themselves. I cannot always figure out the exact ideological cause of a war. But years ago, it was always about democracy. I don't know why they talk about democracy. We're not democracy ourselves. We have some democratic institutions in lower form of government, but not in the federal government, certainly, not in the state government. So I was talking, I told you this before, I was talking to a lawyer. What are our laws based upon? He says nothing. But all these people dream up, dream up. It's like the Tower of Babel, is it not? And it got them into trouble. They thought they could be like God. They built this big tower. And of course, at Pentecost, in the scripture, it says uh, the people could understand each other. They began to understand each other. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was released from the Tower of Babel. Think about it. At this same time, my dear brothers and sisters, don't be too selfish in your thinking. Our worst problem is self-conceit. That we think about what we want and we even tell God what to give us. What's okay, I guess, but we're put on earth to worship God, not to worship ourselves. Many marriages and careers fail because of egotism. It's a serious sin. Eve in the garden, the devil told her, go and eat that fruit and you'll be like God. Oh, she thought that would be terrific. No such thing. And in the readings today in the Latin's they brought up the tree of life, the other tree in the garden. And they say now that the Holy Spirit has come amongst us, we can eat of that tree of life. We can have a, a beautiful life. Because the tree of life seems to mean all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Read Genesis. But Jesus locked us out of the garden, lest we eat of the tree of life and live. So we have yet to live. I think the primary obligation of a Christian, I meet a lot of people that are hardly Christians. They consider themselves Christians, but they're not living a disciplined life. They're not receiving the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. And the Acts of Paul tells us in the primitive church, the apostolic church, 
They gathered on the first day of the week for the breaking of the bread. That's what they called the Holy Eucharist. So we look around us, we can't really get a lesson of Christian living. Few and far between. As most people live for themselves. Uh, you should live a sacrificial life. I remember when we were preparing for the preordained to the priesthood, the spiritual father told us we should live obediently in chastity and the spirit of poverty. Why did they not give the diocesan priest a vow of poverty is because he had to deal with temporalities. He had to be an administrator, a businessman. Does it mean that all people who are in business are living a life of sin? I don't think so, but I think it's a grave temptation sometimes. To not be honest with your clients, to look for an easy way to make money. And the scripture says we should make our living by the sweat of our brow. And my father, you know, he was a CPA. And uh, he worked for the railroad. And he uh, was an eminently prudent and eminently. Very frugal person. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, we deserve this. We don't deserve anything except penance. For ourselves, our ancient parents, and those who have gone before us who didn't really get the message of how to live in the Christian life. I think the most beautiful things is what gathered me towards my faith. The beauty of the liturgy, the holy icons, the sanctity of the priests, the dedicated religious, the monks. You see all that. They are a witness, a living witness, that they belong to God. Even a family is a living witness that they belong to God because a lots of charity and a very lot of poverty is, is uh, in raising a family. They could be doing other things. They could be with their money. They could be collecting other things and making a fortune for themselves. There's nothing wrong with making a fortune, but in Matthew it says, be careful what you do with it. See to it that you take care of the, the church and you take care of those in poverty. Now, Americans are pretty good about that, but they do it seasonally. They're not constantly doing it. But I have had friends who open their homes to unwed mothers, to people on the street, uh, people who needed help 
and it always paid off. Not only in kindness and your Christian faith, but even those people, when they're really ethical, they would give you back what you gave to them. Not that you looked for that. And I remember in the uh, military, oftentimes, when I was in the military, men would be flying and they'd be away from their family. And their wife would, well, she was such a good, um, you know, about watching the accounts and taking care of the money, and she would be broke. And she'd come to see the chaplain. I didn't know what other chaplains did, but I gave her money. And I told her to be careful with it. And it says, and take care of the children and don't bother your family, your husband who's flying jet plane, planes for the Air Force. He doesn't need the worry of you being broke. I'm sure he expected you to be more frugal. The lack of frugality in a family can destroy the marriage, make life terrible for the children, and make another unhappy woman in the world. Not good. I think uh, we acquire too many things. I've done that too. I try to get rid of them, but people give me lots of beautiful things anyway, so I don't have to really acquire them. But I try to always remember at Christmas time especially, the poor, especially our poor, the nuns in their con- their convents, people like that that really beg for their living. St. Francis said it would be good for everybody to beg for their living. Poor St. Francis, the people in his order did not really pay attention to him too well, and they tormented him. He only was some 30-some years old when he fell asleep on the Lord. He aggravated his parents because his parents owned a fabric store for making clothes. People buy fabric. And one day he took it and gave it to the poor. His father was going to kill him. But they repented by the time he was on his deathbed. And they brought him a very rare piece of fabric to wrap his body in when he fell asleep in the Lord. Seems like a charity to me. Charity, we used to say, begins at home, and that's true. A charity will knock on your door, and it will ask something of you. Give it. Be generous. Be careful, but generous. Don't waste money, but if you have it, share it with the poor. This past week, uh, you know, I belong to the Order of the Holy Cross of Jerusalem. It's an Ecclesian order. Mostly people of means belong to that. And they're very generous usually. But the bishop of the Melkites told me just not too long ago, he said they're starving. And there was a news clip, which I thought was surprising, about Lebanon which used to be the Paris of the Near East, a beautiful city. Wars had destroyed that city. 
ethnic conflict, religious conflict. Anyway, on the, they were talking about the ladies who were having children. Well, they don't have money for prenatal care if it's even available. And when baby is born, and they do the best they can, they go to the hospital. It's time to leave. Many of them leave the child at the hospital because they tell the hospital, we have no money to food the, feed the child, so we're leaving him or her here. That's the worst kind of poverty. A child is God's yes to life. It's a wonderful thing. And it must have broke their hearts to leave this product of their love because they didn't have the money to feed the baby. Children, listen to this. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. Obedience brings, brings order to the world and good legislation. When legislation itself is immoral, then it causes us to question obedience. You never have to go against your conscience. I remember when I was going to the military, I took the oath to obey the president. But they told us, especially religious people, you never have to go against your conscience. They might not like it. And you may not go far in your career, but I wasn't there for a career. I was there to take care of the men in the armed services and women, and I did go pretty far. But I never went against my conscience. You should never go against your conscience when you're married. And you know those occasions that come up. You should never go against your conscience in business. God will bless you and make you richer than you can, can need, as the gospel says today, if you just do his will, the most sacred thing. At one time, a document was put before me by the churchman, fellow churchman, and he quoted me, and he says, I didn't care, particularly care for the quote, and he, I said, I did not say that. He said, yes, you did. Sign it. I said, no, I will not sign it. He almost went through the ceiling. He was taking care of himself, not me, not following God. I would not sign it. You lose your reputation, your place in heaven if you lie. Read everything you sign. Make sure you know what you're doing. And above all, don't worry about poverty. All my life, I've been taken care of, no matter where I was. And I've always been frugal. It pays. Frugality pays. Chastity is very important. It keeps them marriage together and the priesthood 
It's the only way you can get up every day and celebrate the liturgy. And I know you have passions, but if you deny yourself food and fast, your passions will come under control. Just like Adam in the Garden and Eve, they chose to eat rather than to serve God. It is still the worst of all the passions. Eating food and not taking care of yourself and your neighbor or your children or such. Try to eat less than you need at his meal. Don't take a second helping. Unless you're digging ditches, you may need more. Don't lose your health. Because helping fasting helps you control your passions. And God will love you, and the Virgin Mary will love you if you're not if you do that, you control your passion. Obedience is absolutely necessary. Of these three passions, hope is the queen of the passions, I like to say. Not the king, but the queen. And sometimes we're discouraged. Sometimes we're ill. It's hard. Sometimes we don't feel that God is close to us in our living or in our prayer. Sometimes this is deal with not getting what we want. Don't ask God for things. He'll give you what you need. And he'll help you in your good works. And don't, you can pray for others, though, that are in need. Or even give them their, their, what they need to help them. <clears throat> but hope, I think there's a quotation. I, I don't remember it from scripture. I think it's a literature maybe from Shakespeare. Hope springs eternal. A uh, young man, for example, he falls in love with the young lady and he hopes and hopes she'll marry him. And if she he bugs him enough, bugs her enough, maybe she will. Maybe they'll fall in love, both of them together. Uh, be careful of People just want to take advantage of you when you're weak. Never give in to your passions of the sex in this situation because it destroys the marriage. In our tradition, when a couple get married, the first night is St. Joseph's night, they call it, and they abstain and pray. There'll be plenty of time in their lifetime for other things. If they learn to pray together, those other times will be better, not worse. Sometimes there's sickness, it calls for chastity. Chastity is always called for to receive the Eucharist. All these things we learn from our fathers in the church who eminently recommended chastity, St. Paul, who said, 
It's better not to marry. He was a single man. And you can devote yourself to God. A married man, his greatest worry is to take care of the family, and justly so. But God says, me alone. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You'll get over it, and you'll get a beautiful crown in heaven. All this I say to you as an example of asceticism. And it's not just for monks and religious and extremely holy people. You should all be extremely holy. You should all live an ascetical life. And you should all sacrifice yourselves for each other and for the church. The Holy Father, in giving allocutions to the priests and bishops, always tells them, do not be over, don't be ambitious. Don't look for titles and promotions in the church. Be a humble soul with humility serving the church. What should, how do we succeed in a family? Beautiful children are given to us. Sometimes they're sick. They have to be taken care of. A wife and man who cling together at difficult times. So today and this morning, I was listening to the news, they're talking about women who lose their husbands in their 40s. Well, shouldn't they marry again? I've seen that. Sometimes it's good. But tradition is if you lose your husband, you remain a holy widow. We have even have vows for those people. The most important thing in life is the love of God for you and your love of God and your pure heart where the Holy Spirit can come and dwell and find a home. And the beauty of your prayers, not what you could become or what you have, that's always going to be given away anyway. So you can have, you can be a Rockefeller or any of those rich people in New York there on Los Angeles or something. You can have the finest clothes. You can um, have a big house. You can have money in the bank. When you die, hopefully somebody will bury you. But everybody's around to take your money. Be careful. My father asked me what would happen to the money in the family because I'm the last. He said, any money that's left that I haven't spent on the church will be left for the church except for a few things. So for a good, good lesson Father Frank just died recently. He's gone one year about uh, Christmas time. He's a holy soul, good priest. I got, I have his will. I got a copy of his will because he left some money to the monastery. A bunch of, a lot of consideration and love was put in into the way he wrote his will. 
beautiful. Many people benefited from it, including the monastery. I think everything we do should be a gesture of loving God. Everything we suffer should be received as a gesture of loving God. Every person who comes into our life who we learn to love is a gift from God. Every child we help is helping one of God's children. For Matthew says, suffer the children to come to me. He loves them. But he loves them in obedience. And the most important thing you can give to a child is to learn obedience. When I was in the university teaching, many students, they were smart, but they didn't know how to study. And they used to have a, the night before their examination, they were cramming. I don't know how much they learned that way. When I was in seminary, the night before examinations, we were taken down and shown a movie. And the priest would say, if you don't know it now, you're not going to know it for the test. If you relax and you've studied all along, you'll do fine. Something like life. If you're disciplined all your life, and you keep the word of God, and you see the sacraments, especially the body and blood of the Lord, you're going to do fine. My father Frank, or so many. I had Father Frank's funeral. He wanted a Byzantine Catholic funeral, and I did it. It did not hurt our reputation at all. The Archbishop himself remarked about it. Do good, love God, love your neighbor, and God will love you. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.